Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Zach Holt, and this is Come to the Table. Some of our most intimate conversations happen at the kitchen table. Walls crumble as space is created to know one another more deeply. Hurt and heartache are replaced by hope and healing when we pull up a chair, let down our guard, and simply be who we are, where we are. In our time together, we will step into the shoes of others through recovery stories of redemption, offer resources and connections for those in need, and come together as a community starving for revival in our region. So if you're hungry, you came to the right place. Well, guys, I'm so excited to be with you again today. Uh, our fourth episode, we've had just so much fun uh, getting into a rhythm, and our conversation last week with Linda Austin was just beautiful. I hope you were able to access that. Uh, wow, what a, what a joy it's been to get to journey in, in all of this newness. Uh, and it's our prayer and it's our hope that this episode and every episode uh, would just contribute to your journey in a, in a really special way. Uh, so today's show, uh, we have with us a, a very special guest and a dear friend of mine, Brian Brown. Uh, Brian is a program participant in our 117 Discipleship Ministry. Uh, and he's also uh, vocationally, he's a children's and adolescent uh, residential counselor. Uh, so he works in an inpatient facility and is going to share uh, some of his stories and his experience, not just of his own journey, but how God has really moved in his life. Uh, so we will uh, introduce you. So, hey, Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, how you doing, Zach? Um, so my name is Brian. Um, definitely in the 117 program in Bristol. Um, great, amazing program. Um, you know, I, I feel like I was definitely led to that program. I've uh, been in Bristol for... A little over, I'd say about four months now. Um, but yeah, it's a great area. Yeah. Loving everything about it. Yeah. Well, we love we love having you, man. You're just such a, an added uh, benefit and a blessing, and, and we're just we're really excited about where where God is leading your life and all that's ahead. So uh, I want to talk about what God is doing now, uh, but I definitely want to want to roll the clock back and just <clears> give you some space. Uh, share with us a, a little bit about yourself, your story. Have some military experience, like recovery, like. Whatever you feel feel led to, yeah. to share with us, so just let us have it. Okay, um, let's see, where do I start? Um, I'm actually from the coast of Virginia um, in a place called Gloucester. Um, not many people know where that's at, but it's near Williamsburg, Virginia, so it's surrounded by water. Um, I grew up out there, um, went to school out there, actually um, ended up graduating from uh, high school in Hampton, Virginia. Um, after high school, um, I left three days after I graduated high school for the U.S. Army um, to be a military police officer. I uh, went to basic and AIT at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, um, all together, and took a trip to Fort Benning. Um, in a nutshell, went from Benning back home for 30 days um, over to Germany to do a tour. Um, did one full tour over there, um, came back home, spent some time at Fort Eustis um, and Fort Monroe. Um, and then um, pretty much my military career was over at that point. Um, I ended up getting a, a medical discharge, an honorable medical discharge. So um, after that, um, I took a venture um, and a couple of jobs when I got out. Um, I actually took a job at a place, kind of what I'm doing now, um, while I was going to college actually, um, at Thomas Nelson and then Old Dominion. Um, did that for about three years while I was in school. Um, and after that, actually started at Lowe's, uh, funny enough. Uh, worked at Lowe's uh, in Hampton, Virginia. Ended up transferring to Raleigh, North Carolina uh, with a really good buddy of mine. 
uh, applied for a job at the corporate store of Lowe's in Mooresville, North Carolina, ended up getting promoted, transferred out there, um, and then spent 12 years in Charlotte. Um, you know, I worked my way up in Lowe's through different departments, being a manager. Um, I worked for a couple different companies. I was a store manager for CVS and an HR director uh, for a travel retail company. Um, and then, you know, that was probably about three or four years ago, and that's kind of what led into where I'm at now. Um, I went through a huge health scare, actually. Um, I ended up with sepsis. Um, I was mm -hmm. in end-stage sepsis. Oh, wow. Um, in the ICU for weeks and med surge in the hospital for weeks. Um, I was on every medication and antibiotic you can humanly imagine. Um, was airlifted out there, actually. Um, <clears throat> And got through that and was just destroyed. Um, I ended up being out of work for months and months and months. Um, ended up resigning my job. Um, I had a beautiful three-bedroom house and um, everything in the world. Um, and not working and going on FMLA and everything. Um, I ended up moving back to Virginia um, on the coast where I'm from. And it took me about nine to ten months of rehab. Um, I was going to physical rehab, going to the hospital, um, getting procedures done. Um, everything in my body had shut down uh, before I got back home. I mean, my kidneys, my heart, my liver, um, everything had shut down. It, it utterly destroyed me. I was 155 pounds wow. and six foot, so, you know, a little, little on the skinny side. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, spending that time at home, um, I actually moved back in with my folks. Uh, spending the time at home, um, you know, PTSD from from different areas of my life um, and depression and anxiety, um, you know, because I, I went from a position that took me 10 years to get there um, and just hard work and effort mm -hmm. and everything else to live with my parents, man, at 34 sure. years old. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really sent me down a spiral. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, really sent me down a spiral and, you know, uh, I honestly, alcohol became a big part of my life. I mean, I was, I was drinking to get away, you know, mm -hmm. just to get away mentally, to stop thinking about how hard I had worked and now I'm nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I went from an HR director to, you know, working for a security guard company and, and everybody was gracious enough and I was super blessed to, to have what I had. And my parents just always supported me. Mm -hmm. um, they were always there for me. My entire family was. They, they actually are the ones that moved me from North Carolina to Virginia. Um, so forever grateful for them. My sister, my aunt, my aunt, um, my mom, my dad, everybody. Um, it was just continued support the entire time. Um, you know, and from there, um, it became a huge problem. I mean, it was starting to become a problem in work, becoming a problem in life. Um, you know, it, it took over my life, to be completely honest with you. Um, yeah. And I had been battling it since I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, to begin with. Um, but it really hit me hard with the PTSD and anxiety and everything else mixed in. Sure. Um, I ended up pretty much at, at rock bottom um, <clears throat> a couple times. You know, like I, I like to say that there's a rock bottom and then you take the elevator down a couple floors. There it is. You yeah. know, so um, I, I definitely ended up there. Um, you know, I ended up last, uh, I ended up spending some time in Galax um, at the recovery center, you know, mm -hmm. just to get my head on straight and everything. Um, you know, and then just through trial and tribulation and going through a lot of stuff, I mean, it, it, it was just a whirlwind craziness of three years, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I lost my dog in the process I had had for 14 years. I mean, yeah, that was just gut-wrenching. 
Um, you know, so it was just a whirlwind. Um, but it was definitely a, a hole I fell down into with, with mm-hmm. just that life-changing experience, especially sitting in a hospital for seven weeks. You know, I mean, it it was it was definitely life-changing for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> and before, before we started uh, recording, we were having a conversation outside about uh, sometimes the way that God uses suffering not to destroy us, but to develop us. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our stories, like the providence of God, are most of the times best read backwards. So as you reflect back on, it sounds like that that time in the hospital was like a pivotal moment in your life, that going through all of those that medical uh, confusion and fear and the diagnoses and the rehabilitation and all of that, can you look back and see maybe what God was doing in a fresh way in that season that you didn't see at the time? Yeah, I've actually thought about that a lot. Um, you know, going to church when I was younger, um, I, I had a really a wide array and variety of, of experience with church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went to church with my parents, of course. I was baptized at a Methodist church um, by a close family friend um, who I still talk to. Um, I went to church with a neighbor. Um, I went to church with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I went to mass with him some Sundays. So I had a wide variety, um, and then as I got older, I also went to church, um, a church my family's been going to for a very, very long time. And, you know, the feeling you have when you're at church and you're leading that life is a, is a feeling that you, you can't describe it. It's, it's just when Jesus is part of your life and there's, there's that aspect of your life, when you lose that, it's kind of an empty void. Um, and when I was in BLR, the lifestyle recovery, um, you know, it, the opportunity from all the guys that I'd heard in the 117 program, you know, that's just what I heard is, is how that was reintroduced into their life. And like, that's all I could think about, honestly, was how that piece was missing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the piece that I wanted back. Um, so yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it definitely, um, Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I grew up with it. I, I got lost, um, without it for a while in the military and, and just leading, you know, life's everyday challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a focus of mine as it should have been, but, um, yeah. 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 And I think that's, I think it's really, really good and helpful for, for a lot of people to hear. Uh, a couple of things I want to comment on. One is, uh, Blaise Pascal. He says that every person is born with a God sized hole in their heart. Um, and so there is a sense that Blaise Pascal would say that you cannot find contentment in this life from this life. Um, that apart from the working of God um, in the midst of your life, there is this sense of a void. There's this sense of there's something lacking, there's something missing in my life. Um, and so often we, we hear uh, stories of people who have maybe been, been uh, brought up in church, um, who have been exposed uh, to, to a religious upbringing, um, but in a sense, it's not until they encounter the absolute brokenness and devastation and humility of their rock bottom um, that they begin clinging to God in a, in a visceral way, in a really personal way. So how have you seen through your, your journey leading up to Bristol Lifestyle Recovery, now being in 117 Discipleship, how has your posture toward God uh, evolved or changed in response to the environment, in response to your struggles? Um, I would say, honestly, you know, going to the table um, and spending time around the, the amazing guys we have in the program um, has kind of led me. Um, you know, I, I feel in the past that I wasn't led in the, in the correct direction or explained, you know, what, what my true purpose is. 
um, but through you know our meetings and conversations and the table and and even time spent with you Zach um, you know you're, you're kind of led to that and I've heard you use that line multiple multiple times and I, I actually think about it and I've talked to one of the other guys Michael um, about it um, and I, I feel like it's just a natural feeling almost it's where I need to be you know um, it's it's leading me in the right direction and how I kind of explain it is it's not just a an instantaneous thing you don't join the program and mm -hmm. you know boom that's right um, mm -hmm. you know it's it's hard work it's communication it's taking in what you talk about and the readings mm -hmm. we do and you know for example chair time mm -hmm. um, you know stuff like that um, and how would you, um, what you, uh, he's referring to is a book by Dan Sutherland, an ebook that's available online called Chair Time. Uh, and how would you kind of uh, characterize or, or give a, a, you know, brief explanation of sort of what, what that sure. is? Um, so the, the biggest piece I got out of the book is that we're always asking uh, God for things. You know, we're always saying, you, you, you said it in a meeting actually, you know, we're always like, well, you know, if you helped me out this one time, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll never do it again. But we're, we're constantly talking. Um, we're constantly talking and asking questions, and we're not listening. We don't sit back and listen. And in, in this book that you, you just mentioned, um, they, I'm a big visual learner, and they, they make you imagine a chair. I think it's you know miles and miles long, mm -hmm. and there's just a front row of seats. Um, and you're in one of the seats in the very front row in the middle of this giant chair that's, I forgot how tall and wide it was, but it's hundreds of feet it's tall. It's massive, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's miles and miles and miles long. So, um, you know, it's, it's about listening. Um, and the gentleman says take 30 minutes a day for 30 days. Um, and, you know, he said that he would go to his pastor and say, hey, like, I haven't heard anything in weeks. And he's like, just give it time, just give it time. Um, and that's something that I've, I've been practicing also. Um, and it wasn't immediate, of course, but I've been doing it for over a month now. I've got a nice mm -hmm. long drive every day. Um, so I dedicate some of that time uh, to that. It's the perfect environment. Mm -hmm for it um, and it's just about listening it's mm -hmm. not about talking it's not about asking for favors mm -hmm. it's not about anything like that it's just about listening it's great um, about what he wants not what you want that's right so. that's right that's right and that's a really hard shift for, for a lot of people to make and I think in order to, to rightly see God there's a process of humility that needs to take place where you realize in prayer that I'm not the most important person in this conversation right. uh, and so I, I love that practice of chair time uh, we talk a lot about contemplative practices where we're truly centering ourselves uh, in the presence of God in the stillness of that moment and we hear so we ask questions like God where are you at work and how can I join in with you and how those asking questions and waiting upon the Lord instead of trying to drive the prayer, drive the conversation, which in a sense kind of makes Jesus like a like a divine butler, you know, sure, like sure. We, we ring a bell and, you know, I want this girl and I want this car and I want this job and I want two day delivery like Amazon, right, right. you know, and, and it's like, no, it's it's about so much more than that. Um, and so really diving deep into that practice and listening, I think, is just so helpful uh, and so powerful. And we see a lot of growth in that. And the way we've structured the 117 program is the first six months we focus on shaping and the second six months we focus on sending. And so in order to be sent well, you've got to be shaped well. And so for the first six months of the program, which you're currently in, we talk a lot about being shaped into the image of God, uh, reading scripture, listening for the voice of the Spirit, prayer practices. Uh, and, you know, one thing that that you shared, I think it may have been the first time that we ever met, and you could probably tell me who said it, um, but it was in our uh, Living Free group meeting, and you said, there isn't a problem in this world that can't be solved with a little structure. 
And I thought that that was uh, just a really powerful statement. Uh, so for many of us in recovery, uh, in active addiction, we certainly have no structure, no discipline, no order. So talk to me a little bit about the role that structure plays in your life. Um, maybe something uh, that you're doing now that seems to be working for you, rhythms, disciplines, I know those are important to you. So just speak a little bit to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was uh, that was kind of pieced together from, from multiple people I've known, um, some NCOs in the military um, and some, some leaders of mine in the past. Um, and it's actually something that I've said a couple times in leadership conferences that I've spoken at. Mm -hmm. um, because structure in your life is one of the most important things. With 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 structure comes a lot of things, um, and structure to me is is daily structure. Um, you know, it's it's creating habits, um, it's setting goals, um, and it's tracking. Because you know, if we set goals and we don't track how we're getting there, we're not going to be on the right path. We're just going to set a goal like I like everybody does on December 31st mm -hmm. of every year. I want to lose 12 pounds this month, right? Well, if we're not tracking. I made my right. living as a personal trainer right. on, yeah, right. on so, New Year's resolutions. Yeah, so absolutely, no <laughs> doubt. You you know for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, if we set those goals, and it's it's also about daily structure too, you know, um, everything from the smallest things in the world from making your bed in the morning to getting in the shower to doing your laundry and making your, you putting your clothes out the next day. Um, taking medication, um, your workout routine, you know, how you drive, um, you know, but it's also about kind of deviating from that. I, I had a boss of mine one time uh, at a low store, actually, that I worked at, and he made the managerial staff walk in a different entrance of the store every single day. Um, Interesting. And it's to gain a different aspect, because when you do the same thing over and over every single day, you see the same thing, you get tunnel vision. But when you approach things at different angles, um, you actually start to see things that you normally wouldn't see because you're just going about your normal day. So um, that's another thing I do. I try to look at things from different angles, um, you know, because if you sit down for the same meeting and you sit down in the same class and you sit down at the same job every day, things just kind of melt together, you know. Um, so I try to take uh, different different looks at, at different aspects of things. Um, but structure is big for me. Um, it, it always has been. Um, without structure, I'm a complete mess. Um, I'm just a complete mess. I'm not going to lie. So. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Well, I want to take a minute and uh, remind you that you are listening to Come to the Table on WEHC 90.7 and Wise FM 90.5. I'm your host, Zach Holt, and we're here today with Brian Brown. Uh, you know, Brian, one thing that you said that <clears throat> I think is a nice tension to kind of hold in balance there is, uh, yeah, on the one hand, those structures and those discipline, uh, those are so important. You know, we say all the time in our community that it's the habits no one sees that yield the harvest everyone wants. Um, you know, and it's the stuff you do, uh, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, it's those, those habits that no one sees that yield the harvest everyone wants. It's the self-care. It's all of those things. But I really like the perspective that you shared because sometimes I'll confess my tendency is to get so locked in that it almost becomes like mechanized, you know, and and so I think just just now you kind of spoken in my life a little bit that uh, maybe I need to go in through a different door every once in a while and kind of approach things from a different angle because you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes, especially in ministry rhythms that are largely cyclical, you know, Sunday comes every week, you know, and yeah. uh, no matter how great Sunday night is, Monday morning, I'm looking at a, blank, sure. a blank screen and a, and a flashing cursor, you sure. know, uh, but, it, but it's like sometimes you need to break that up and, and approach things a little bit differently. You know, one of the things that I hear from our guys a lot who don't have licenses yet, uh, who are walking or riding a bike is I'm amazed 
at the things that they see uh, when they're walking, the conversations that they have with people while they're walking, the things they notice that, you know, I'm driving, flying down the road. I'm not noticing. I'm not paying attention. Sure. And and there's a sense that there's something really beautiful in that and being able to slow down and pay attention, right, to, to see people. You know, we say in our community that in order to do as Jesus did, you have to see as Jesus saw. Um, and sometimes in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our hustle, uh, we miss out on what matters most. Um, so I appreciate your, your words and your insight there because I think it's something, honestly, that, that I needed to hear, that yeah. image of yeah, I need to sure. take, a, take a different door. Yeah, I use a, a GPS reference, too, with, with something like that. You know, I, I think you and I are actually kind of close to the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you remember, but when we first started driving, there was no GPS. Like, you started making turns till you got lost. And then you learned your route after, mm-hmm. what, three or four times? Now we're so reliant on a GPS, we're staring at a screen, and we don't see anything around us mm-hmm. um, as we're made, taking our journey. Um, we just have tunnel vision. Um, so um, I, I think about that a lot. I try not to use my yeah. GPS. But, it's really know, good. Yeah, sometimes you got to. Right, exactly. I used it to get here today. Yeah, so. no, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> So share, share with us a little bit, because I think you're in a, a fascinating role uh, vocationally. So share uh, a little bit about the, the role that you have uh, as a residential counselor for children and adolescents. Uh, yeah, that role a little bit, your responsibilities. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, the, the role I play, um, you know, it's a, it's a residential setting, like it's pretty self-explanatory. It's a residential setting for, for children and adolescents. Um, you know, we're, we're there for, for day to day, everything. Um, you know, as, as a child and adolescent, you know, if you're in a facility, I mean, you're, you're reliant, you know, on every single staff member. I mean, you're reliant on therapists and counselors and nurses and doctors and managers and, um, and everything else. So we're there for support. Um, we're there for structure. We're there for um, everything. And then just like uh, I think I mentioned to you before, uh, their structure is so huge with with these kids because um, a lot of them haven't had it. Um, you know, so um, they're all wonderful, great kids. Um, you know, just have some obstacles in their life that that they have to overcome. Um, and we're there for, for day-to-day help with that, um, whether it be one-on-one conversations or kind of, you know, processing moments, um, you know, schooling, therapy, counseling, um, everything like that. You know, it's, it's, it's to get these kiddos um, on the right path and, and, and whatever we can do to, to make that happen um, and make them successful um, is, is what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I, I absolutely love it. I, I adore going to work every day. I look forward to it, um, you know. So um, it's just kind of in a nutshell. I mean, we're we're helping them grow up, if if that makes kind of any sense. Um, but they're in an environment where everything is just with a magnifying glass on on how we can help them mm-hmm. and, and and how we can um, how we can adversely affect their their outcome and, and what they get out of this. Um, to be successful, be successful in every way in life, you know, emotionally, physically, um, everything. Mm, that's really great. So what would you say have been like, if you had like a, a, a big win story that you can share respecting confidentiality or however you feel to, to navigate that, but like, what's been like a, one of your, one of your big wins that when you think about the time that I've been there, man, this has been a time I really, I like, I know I made an impact in this young person's life or um, I don't really have a specific story, to be completely honest with you. Um, I get the most out of 
knowing that if there's something that I've taught or I've said or I've led in some type of way that, that positively affects how they view something um, or a coping strategy or something like that, um, you know, it, it takes a while to, to get on the side of, of trust. Um, and as long as I can make some type of impact, that, that is what matters the most to me. Um, you know, as long as, you know, I've, I've had a couple conversations um, and I've given this, you know, some, some kid advice. You know, we're not talking to adults here. Um, just some kid advice on, you know, some things I learned when I was a kid that really helped, you know. Um, and just to watch one little aspect of that be put to use in a setting is huge. It's, it's the, I agree. you know, yeah. I'm, or I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's the little things in life, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I get the most out of that. It's very, very fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I joke with coworkers like, you guys are just mm-hmm. paying me to, paying me to <laughs> drive in and, and hang out with kiddos. Yeah. So. yeah. And that's <clears throat> it's really good. And I think in our, uh, you know, in our, our community, we're, we try to be really careful about our language. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we think of, oh, well, we've got this ministry for the homeless or we're going to do this to the homeless, um, it, it kind of hits different. It, it feels as if they are like a charity project or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Uh, that there are going to be a Facebook post uh, at some point, uh, and and but but there's a difference when you say with, um, so like in in our ministry at the table, we're not doing uh, our ministry isn't for the addict. Our ministry is with those in recovery. You know, right. uh, even at at our our nursing home where we have a couple of different nursing homes we're involved with, and even there, it's it's we're we're with people. Um, and I think what I'm hearing in your language and just knowing more about your story and the way that you interact with those kids is you're not doing it to them or for them, but you're doing it with them. Uh, it truly sounds like you're coming beside. And one of the things that I think is so absent in a lot of ministries in the two or four space um, is consistency. Uh, there's a, uh, an old Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Akiva, and he tells this story uh, about how he's tending his flock in the, in the pasture, and way off in the distance, he notices this small stream that like triples, trickles, and drips off the edge of the side of this uh, ledge um, and falls down onto this giant boulder below, and just little trickle, drip, drip, drip. And so he goes over to check this thing out, um, and what he notices um, is that over time, those drips have reformed and reshaped that hard stone. And so he comes to this moment of realization where he's like, if this water can do, if water can do this to stone, how much more can God's love carve away into my heart? And his thought was that if it all came rushing over all at once, it would have done nothing to reform the rock, but it's the slow drip. It's the consistency over and over and over again. And I think a lot of times when we talk about ministry with vulnerable communities and populations, like they've had people come in and and swoop in and do an event and leave and never seen again. But it's the ones who stay. It's the ones who walk with. Those are the ones that truly impact. And so I was kind of smiling when you were sharing uh, and like the story you shared that that is a big win. Like that is huge to have that moment where uh, their eyes are opened. And in our first episode, we talked about the role of acceptance, significance, and security, how those three things are kind of fundamental uh, core requirements in people's lives. And whenever you're able to walk with others faithfully and help them to discover and discern 
you know what, I, I do belong and I do matter and I am safe. And I would think with that population in particular, the security piece um, would, would be just so, so important just to remind folks like that you're dealing with like, this is safe, like you're safe here. And that was yeah. what was so compelling about Linda Austin's uh, interview last week that we shared um, was like the women that, that she's ministering to, like they don't have to worry about being drugged. They don't have to worry about people coming in and physically assaulting them and all the other stuff that happens that they feel safe, uh, you know, and I think people need that. They need to feel safe uh, in order to really allow God to do what God desires to do in their life. So as we kind of get towards the end here, we have about 60 seconds, and so I always tend to oh, save yeah. this question for the very end. It's amazing how fast 30 minutes goes. Oh, uh, but, but I would ask you, if you had 60 seconds, because you do, um, what, what sentence, what word, what advice would you offer to the person that's still out there struggling in their addiction and lost in, in that life? Um, this is my little... Uh this is my little saying. Um, I came up on my own, actually. Um, I imagine myself in a hallway, um, and I'm at one end of the hallway, and every day I need to move forward towards the other end. Um, and it doesn't matter if I take a big giant step or if I take one little tiny inch mm-hmm. um, or if I lean forward, but my goal every day is to move forward um, towards my goal at the end of the hallway, whatever goal that mm-hmm. is. Um, so I would say every single day, do something to move yourself forward. That's great. Um, don't stay stagnant. Don't move backwards. Even if it's something very small, if it's a phone call or a text or the smallest little bit of help, move forward. Don't don't stay still. Just as long as you're moving forward, um, one day at a time, one minute at a time, whatever it is, take your time. Just move forward. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Take a step. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Come to the Table. We hope that it has either been an encouragement to your recovery or created in you a curiosity about what it means to live into a radical new mindset of selfless service to others. If you'd like to know more about our ministry or for coaching on how you can more faithfully walk with others in their time of need, we would love to connect with you and pour into you. If you're interested in recovery resources, uh, spiritual growth, uh, you can reach out to us anytime at thetablebristol117 at gmail.com or thetableministries.com. Friends, you don't have to walk this road alone. Hope, redemption, beauty from ashes, light from dark are all closer than you know. Grace and peace to you, my friend.